This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. I'm Randy Moore. And I'm Andy Payton. All right. Well, Andy, we always start these podcasts this way, and so let's not change the pattern. And that is, going back to John Wesley, how is it with our souls? So let me ask you today, how is it with your soul? How is it with my soul? Um, Well, as I thought about that question this week, two words came to my mind. Number one, I'm grieving. My father passed away from stomach cancer just a little over a week ago, and his funeral was this past Thursday. And so, well, that's a heavy um, experience to go through, and I continue to grieve. The way I, I describe grief in my own life would be like, I've entered a fog, and I'm kind of lost trying to find my way. But yet, in the midst of it, I'm grateful too. Um, grateful for the overwhelming support from Methodist Temple congregation. I was floored by the amount of people that drove all the way two and a half hours from Evansville to Mooresville uh, to be at my dad's visitation and funeral. And then the cards, it's just, it's been overwhelming to experience the amount of love and support these last couple weeks. And so I'm grateful for that, especially I'm grateful for you, Pastor Randy. Um, I've been gone for two weeks and you've jumped in there. You've preached twice. You've done funerals. I am internally indebted to you for jumping in there in the way in which you did, which allowed me to be there for my family these last couple of times. So my soul is grieving. It's grateful too at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Well, my soul is is good. In fact, uh, the condition of my soul right now is directly connected to the fact that uh, you have been gone uh, for a couple of weeks, and um, uh, you know, people have made the comment like, because I still have a full time job and I've taken on these responsibilities. Like, wait, how do you how do you get it all done? Well, you get it done because I mean, it's really kind of an act of of love and 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 service. And I was truly happy to be able to you know, to do that for you, to step in and to allow you to be away, to do the grieving that you that you wanted to do. Um, you know, it might have been part of your grief to come back and preach. You know, maybe it, it would have done your soul good to preach. But at the same time, I think, I certainly this was my position, I wanted you not to have to make that decision, you know, that that you could stay away. Uh, because I think in the end, not to, you know, speak for you, that that's what you need and that's what everybody needs is the ability to take time to actually grieve. Sometimes we need distractions when we're grieving, you know, because it's hard. But basically, I don't think we allow ourselves as a culture enough time to grieve. And so, you know, to step in there and to do two sermons and, and a couple of funerals and, and hospital visits and, and other meetings. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot to do. But again, I was I was happy to be able to be able to do it. Uh, I just want to ask you a little bit for you know the people who are listening who might not know your father. Would you just would you just talk about your father for for a minute, just so that we might know him just a little bit better? I know that I had only met him one time here at Methodist Temple after a service, and we talked for a long time, and it was it was before he was diagnosed, and um, and then that was it. I had one conversation with your father. Yeah, um, well, my dad, he's a, he was a retired United Methodist pastor. He's a United Methodist pastor for 44 years. And in those years, he had three different appointments. He served at 
a little place called Crothersville in Cana. Then he served at Ligoti um, United Methodist for 22 years, and then he retired out of Mooresville. And uh, describe my dad. Um, how would I describe my dad? Well, in the service, my dad's funeral, I was asked to do the eulogy or one of the eulogies. And the three words that come comes to my mind or come to my mind as I think about my dad is number one, country. He's a good old boy. He grew up in the hills of Kentucky. His grandpa, my great grandfather, was a tobacco farmer and he raised milk cows in Oldham County, Kentucky. And my dad, he loved his grandfather. And in my eulogy, I even noted, I don't think he ever left that place because every place he went, every place he moved since then, he tried to recreate that farm. And my dad had a great love of horses. And so that was his hobby. And I also think that was where he prayed. So uh, things like Rule King, Tractor Supply is what made his heart sing. Um, He was also really wise. Um, I think that country aspect of him also translated into him being just a person with a lot of wisdom. He had all these little pithy sayings he would share with people. Like I remember one was brokenness creates openness to God. And that certainly is true. Life has to become painful before we'll change a lot of the time. And another one was uh, the truth has a way of coming out. And another one was towards the end, um, actually one of the last conversations I had with him before he died, he said, Andrew, when your time is up, your time is up. And he was really a person of strong faith, even to the very end. And, and that would be the last way I would describe my dad, really, is he's a person of very strong faith. He met Jesus Christ. He became a, a Christian, actually laying on a couch, watching a Billy Graham crusade. And um, as his faith grew, it became his mission to share uh, the love of God that we know in Christ. He believed that was the most powerful force in the universe. And anyway, all those things kind of feed into the person I am today. And and so when I say I grieve, I really grieve. But when I when I say I'm grateful, I'm very grateful because my dad's faith was strong and death for him, he doesn't believe, was the end. I don't believe is the end either. And I know he continues on in the heart of God and and he continues on in the hearts of the people who knew him too. So that's kind of a little bit about my dad, country, and he was wise, he's a person of faith, and he's certainly going to be missed. And he made an impression clearly on his congregations. That was a rather large funeral. He made an impression on his two boys. You all both, you even witnessed to your PK, you know, rebellion, but you ended up, both of you ended up being United Methodist pastors. And so he transferred that on through you. Oh, yes. Uh, My dad lived life well. And he became the sort, he was the sort of person that you wanted to become kind of like him. Um, I remember one story I didn't share in the eulogy, but one story I thought about as I have been reflecting these last few weeks. I remember as a little boy growing up in Ligoti, uh, this older gentleman once asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, you could ask that by, by older gentlemen and older people sometimes, I guess. And and I remember saying to the guy, I said, I want to be like my dad because I want to be, I want to wear a tie like a preacher. The funny thing is my dad never wore ties, but I remember always wanting, I don't know, like in a sense, I worshiped him. I wanted to be like my dad. And, and so, yeah, he had quite an impact on me. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to really miss him. And there's so much swirling in me as a result of his, his death and his passing. Yeah. 
And I'm sure that uh, some of those stories will find their way into some sermons. You know, uh, this weekend uh, you'll be picking back up on on your 25 part series on the articles of religion. But last couple of weeks I went into the into the Old Testament, and um, I actually made those selections. Well, actually, the second one from last week. I made that selection even before um, I knew what was going to happen with your father. But it fit because the title was, was Wrestling with God. And, um, and I'm sure that death itself causes us to, to wrestle with God, but, it, but it's, not, it's not the only thing. So I had you and your father and your family on my mind when I was putting that together. Oh, yeah. And you're right. Death does create this sense of you struggle, you wrestle, you ask difficult questions. Um, when we found out my dad had cancer, he died from cancer, one of the first things that pop in your, pops in your mind is like, well, why us? Why my dad? And, and that's the big question when it comes to our faith and wrestling with God is the problem of pain, the problem um, we call theodicy, the problem of suffering. And, and so, as you said in your sermon this past week, if, if you're going to take your relationship with God seriously, at some point you're going to struggle. And whenever you meet death and you experience mortality in your life, you're going to struggle with that question. And... Uh, I am curious, as I think about your sermon, Pastor Randy, just could interview you a little bit at this point. I am, I'm, I'm curious, like, when it comes to your relationship with God, what's something you wrestle with, though? Well, it's just, it, it's everything, I think, um, because I think we're all, well, of course, we're all brought up uh, a certain way. We're exposed, you know, to certain things, and uh, we are taught you know, how to, you know, understand God. And then when you begin to sort of appropriate all that for yourself and you begin asking questions, then it inevitably leads to struggling and, and to wrestling. Um, you know, who is God? What, what is the, the nature of God? And then I connected it to Scripture because um, I said that if you're if you're not wrestling with scripture, then you're really you're really not reading enough scripture because it requires that we that we wrestle with it. I mean, you uh, you can have an idea about the Bible and and what it says, but if you never get into it, you're never challenged. You don't have to wrestle with it. You just sort of accept it, um, and you even revere it. You might even worship it. But if you actually read it deeply, then you come into violence, you know, violence that is approved by God. In fact, even uh, genocide ordered by God. Now, you have to wrestle with that. If you don't wrestle with that, then you just let it be. You, you can't let that be. Um, the um, treatment of, of women. I mean, it's a patriarchal society, right? Uh, and you see that all through Scripture. So, okay, you're going to have to wrestle with that. Um, even even at the very beginning of, of the Bible, there are two stories of creation. And a lot of times, I think what we do, if we give it any thought at all, we conflate those two stories. Like the first story, there's the seven days of cre you know, the seven days, and, and on the seventh day, God rested. On the sixth day, he creates uh, humankind. And then we've sort of seen that second account as, okay, that's detail about day six, day six, but it's not. It's a completely different story, and we are pretty certain by not the same author. Okay, you have to struggle with that, and you can accept that, 
And I think it's awesome that the people that put together the final version of what we have as the Bible, they were okay with that. They didn't say, hey, wait a minute, here is, a, here is an account of uh, creation that apparently God is at the, in the point of view as someone who's very distant and looking down on this, on this uh, unfinished thing that ended up being the creation. Um, you know, and then you have the second account where it's down in the dirt. It's very, you know, God is, is like a human being. He's down there with the first humans. Um, they didn't say, well, you got to choose one or the other. They say, Here, here's two stories that say, and they both say something about God and about creation and about us. And so um, while the struggling is absolutely uh, necessary, it's also enriching. It's also enriching. But what I tell people who I, who I teach, I say, but you know what? At the end of the day, and this is where I arrived, um, I want to experience God in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, here's an example. Um, I, I did a teaching on um, the way some of the, the literary devices that are used in the Bible. And I was like, look how fun this is to notice um, that there's this structure here. There's this structure where the writer makes uh, four points and then repeats those points in, re- in reversed order. That's a, called a chiasm. So I'm like, if the average person has to know that and recognize that in order to understand the Bible and understand God, they're lost. So we don't ever want to say that. So at, this, at the same time that it's enriching, when we do find it, and when we do deep Bible study, for the average person, they're not going to have that kind of time to plumb the depths of the Bible, but they want a relationship with God. And so that's there, and you've been talking about this too. We encounter God in our lives. Certainly we encounter God in the Bible, but we encounter God in our lives with each other and through the Holy Spirit. And I think this has been... uh, the series that you've been doing, that's been all over that, right? So, um, you know, uh, Jacob uh, is, is the one who, this is the story from the 28th chapter of Genesis. Th- this is the one who wrestled with God. It was, an, it, was a, it was a man or it was an angel, but we think that this was, this was God that, that, that Jacob is wrestling with. And, uh, and uh, God leaves him with some injuries that he carried even. Uh, and then his name was changed to Israel, so he's the representative, right? Uh, despite all of his flaws, that's another th- thing that we could go a long time on. So um, the struggle is inherent, uh, and it's good. And what I said was, don't stop, you know, don't stop struggling. Don't stop struggling. Don't stop wrestling. Uh, we'll never, no one will ever have the final answer and, and just tie up all these big questions. But God is in the struggle. God's oh, in the struggle. Absolutely, God is in the struggle. As you were talking, the thing that popped in my mind, Randy, was when I went off to seminary, the assumption is you go off to seminary to get answers. But the truth of the matter is you go off to seminary and you come up with more questions because yeah. you're, you're forced to do in-depth study of Scripture, but also to think very deeply about your own personal experiences with God. And one of the things that inevitably happens when you do that is you you find yourself asking more questions and yet at the same time, almost paradoxically, you're, you're certain of God at the same time. It, 
that's the paradox of our faith. The classic definition of faith is it's like faith is always seeking more understanding. It's not faith that has arrived. It's faith in relationship with the divine. And when you're in relationship with anyone, especially God, there's always more to learn. Mm -hmm. I think of God as like a mystery, not in the sense that you don't know things. You know things about God. You can know you know, your experiences of God, you can learn things about God, but it's a mystery that always has something more to, sh- to tell as a mystery. It's a mystery that has always has something more to show us. And Jacob is, well, that's, as you said, that's a wonderful story of a person who wrestles with God. And at the end of the day, God touches his hip and he walks away different. Mm-hmm. And it's just perfect. It's a perfect story about what happens to each of us in, t- in the sense of, as we wrestle with our relationship with God, you can't walk away the same. You're always different. Yeah, Jacob said, certainly God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Wow, that's a title of a sermon. We go through our daily lives and if we're not careful, we won't see God. But God is present always and even and especially in the struggle. Oh, I love that. That that phrase, God was in this place and didn't even know it. If I could challenge folks to do one thing, it would be this. Stop living our lives as if God were somewhere else. And what happens when you actually start to trust that God is actually with us, you'll find God always has something new to show us. There's always a new insight. There's there's always more transformation to come. And, well, Jacob is like the archetype of that mm-hmm. moment. As this is what happens when we wrestle with God. We realize, number one, God's with us. And we are changed by that reality, too. Yeah. And the other point that I made in my sermon last Sunday was, let's wrestle together. Um, I had lunch with uh, Rabbi Gary Mazo, and um, you and I have had uh, coffee with him before. And, of course, he was here and did a program here. He's a great guy. And I thought, uh, I knew I was going to preach on uh, Jacob, and I thought, oh, I need to, I need to get touch base with uh, uh, Rabbi Gary. Anyway, and selfishly, I'd like to kind of prick it, pick his brain on, on this Jacob story. So we got together, and he said something that reminded me of something that we actually witnessed, and that was in their Shabbat service on a Saturday morning. The sermon is short. I actually looked at last a week ago Sundays online, uh, the rabbi's sermon was three minutes, and he told me in our, in, our, in our lunch meeting, he said, I have to spend more time preparing for the discussion that happens in the community after my sermon than the time I spend preparing my sermon, because that's the time when people get to respond to the reading of the Torah. And remember how beautiful that was? They went back out of these cabinets and pulled down these scrolls and and read the Torah. And that's what they do. They go through the entire Torah. And then then they just repeat that process, much like we do with our our lectionary. And then the sermon is his interpretation or commentary on the Torah. And then everybody else has a chance to contribute to the conversation. Because, you know, dare we say, no one has the final answer. No one has the final answer. Oh, yeah. What a beautiful thing, though, in the middle of worship to give a sermon. I'm sure no one complained it was only three minutes long, um, but then open it up for people to reflect because it really is a just powerful reminder that God speaks through community and we all bring our own experiences. We all bring our own ideas to the table. And as we mix that together, uh, the voice of the sacred, the voice of God is, is heard together as we wrestle with 
Yeah, and I actually did a little experiment at the end of my sermon, and it really wasn't fair. It was sort of forced, but I said, I, I let them know early on, I said, we're going to have a bit of an open mic time here uh, in the second half of the sermon. And uh, some people did. It took a while for people to warm up, and that was to be expected. We don't do this normally, and I, but I just wanted to sort of demonstrate in that kind of a way that, you know, I think we miss something um, in our Christian tradition, and we could talk about how, how that developed, but I even said that, you know, pastors, priests, uh, we're, we're sort of elevated in, in a way, and it's even spatially you see it, like even on our pulpit, we walk up a couple of steps uh, into our pulpit and we look down. Or, you know, I even said that, you know, some churches even have like a spiral staircase, it goes even higher. And, um, you know, that's all well and good. And yes, we, you know, we do have the training and we do have more time to study the scriptures and we do have, you know, more time for prayer and, and those kinds of things. But we really stand with our people and we start the conversations and their experiences of God and the way they interact with the, the spirit and, and the scripture is just as important as the way we do. Oh, yeah. And one of the things I've experienced as I've been able to have conversation in community with people is I learn. I mean, from other people as they share their experiences, I learn. They offer new insights. I come away thinking much of the time, well, I never thought of that before. And, well, the Spirit works through that interaction. But you're right. We're not used to that as Protestants. Good Protestants know we show up to church, we're quiet, we listen, and then we go home and... Uh, what Gary's doing, and, and really, in some ways, the, the Christian tradition has done is we open that up for the interaction, which is where the good stuff takes place. Yeah, what's the term? Um, conferencing, Christian conferencing. That's the Wesley term for it. Um, and it could, as a practical matter, I mean, I'm sure it can get unwieldy. Like someone could capitalize the time or someone could go totally off the reservation. But just the notion the notion that that it is a conversation, and that uh, and that what others have to say uh, is important is important, and so and we do it in other ways. We do that in other ways. We do that like even in my Sunday school classes. Based on that, uh, we don't critique your sermon. We respond, you know, to to your sermon. And I know that you have curriculum that you follow in your Sunday school class, but I'm sure the issues that you bring up in the sermon come up in your Sunday school class too. Yeah, it's well, a sermon is, as you said, is an invitation to a, a conversation. And one of the other things I'll note is it's a funny thing to go back and, and hear like or check your notes, what you preached on 15 years ago or 20 years ago. I mean, it's amazing how much I've changed over the course of those 15, 20 years. The assumption is we do change. The assumption is we do grow. Um, there's a popular term out there now called deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Sometimes the old boxes we were given no longer work, and at which point we deconstruct, but then we also reconstruct, and new insights come. God has something more to offer us all the time. Mm -hmm. All right, let's, um, let's shift gears here a little bit, because you are in this 25-part series on the 25 Articles of Religion. So let's briefly, because we have had a couple of weeks off, and let's catch people up who might be listening for the first time, just briefly, what are these articles? Well, the 25 Articles of Religion were given to us as Methodists from John Wesley 
And the way we're using them is like a roadmap. They're like a roadmap for our own personal relationship with God. They're kind of like guardrails for our own relationship with God. As we do struggle, they kind of help us with the parameters. And so Wesley handed those on to the people called Methodist whenever we started in the 1700s. And uh, they are kind of like the official uh, doctrinal um, guidelines for us even to this day as United Methodist. Okay, it's been really good so far. So uh, we've had a two-week break from it, but uh, we'll start back up this Sunday um, with article number five of the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for salvation. Here's the paragraph that defines that. The Holy Scripture containeth all things necessary to salvation, so that whatsoever is not read therein, nor may be proved thereby, is not to be required of any man that it should be believed as an article of faith, or be thought requisite or necessary to salvation. In the name of the Holy Scripture, we do understand those canonical books of the Old and the New Testament, of whose authority was never any doubt in the church. And so where the Bible is involved in probably all 25 of these, here uh, the articles tackle the issue directly, the Scripture, especially as it relates to salvation. And Pastor Andy, we don't want you to give away your entire sermon. Um, we, we want to leave the anticipation there, but give us a little taste of what kind of things are rattling around in your soul and spirit and brain. Well, I, what's rattling around in my soul is anxiety as I think about Article 5, because, well, Scripture is is challenging. And quite frankly, this particular article that we're going to talk about this weekend is the most difficult up to this point because we don't always agree with scripture and there's as many interpretations in some sense as there are interpreters with scripture the number one reason why people leave the church is because of the way the bible is read and interpreted and so well this is an important article it's also it also has the potential to be a divisive article um, because of the nature of what we're talking about. What is the Bible? How do we utilize the Bible? How do we get the Bible? All those sorts of questions are some of the things that I hope to tackle this weekend as we deal with Article 5. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're going to have to choose kind of a focus because, wow, it's a, it's a big, big subject, and you might take 25 minutes on it. What do, what do you think the focus uh, will be? Well, Article 5... I love Article 5, even though, even though it's a difficult subject, because it states, we believe the Bible contains everything for salvation. Um, we don't use words like inerrancy. The idea of inerrancy is the Bible is without error. We don't use a word like um, infallibility in the sense that, you know, it will not fail us in matters of faith. But no, we don't say those things as Methodists. We say it contains everything for salvation. And of course, as Christians, we believe salvation comes through Christ. We come to know God through Christ. And so basically what I'm going to get to in my sermon is the notion that we all have a lens when it comes to reading the Bible. And the lens we as Christians have adopted is we try to see the Bible through the lens of Christ. So quite simply, we become Christian so that we can read the scripture. We don't read the scripture so that we can become Christian. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit, but I'll just say the articles themselves are set up in this way. Notice that Article 1 wasn't the Bible. Article 1 was the Trinity. And then we talked about Jesus. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit. As we begin to become certain about who God is to us, 
then the Bible comes alongside and helps us to see that God. And we begin to see that God through the pages of Scripture as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll talk a little bit about how the Bible is used. And, and you and I, uh, we read the Bible uh, critically. Um, but that doesn't mean that we're critical uh, of the Scriptures. That means that we read it carefully, that we analyze it and uh, so that we can fully understand it. But we also read it devotionally. I read the Bible every day, and uh, I'm sure you read the Bible every day. And I read it critically every day, but I also read it devotionally. I practice Lectio Divina. That is a a prayerful reading of Scripture. And so while we might uh, examine it closely, we still believe that it, it, it is at some level inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the reading of it uh, involves involves the Holy Spirit, so it's a it's a multifaceted uh, thing, and there can be a wide range uh, of the way we read the Bible within an individual. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the way I read the Bible um, is, I begin with the question, "Where do I see Christ in this?" And I'm training myself so that when I go out into my everyday life, I'm actually asking, or I'm, I'm asking the question, "Where do I see Christ?" In this, and, and now I'm talking about my own life situation. Uh, when we talk about using the Bible in a prayerful way, in a devotional way, um, we're talking about it in terms of its own discipline. We're disciplining ourselves to tune in to the presence of Christ so that when we go out into the world, we can tune in to the presence of Christ as well. Very good. Let's wrap it up there. And uh... Pastor Andy, it's really good to have you back, and I I know our people have been holding you and and your family in their prayers, and they're always asking about you and and concerned about you, and as much as you needed to be and wanted to be uh, with your family, I know that you've missed uh, being here at Methodist Temple, and so it will be good uh, to see you uh, this coming Sunday. And I want to say, Randy, again, thank you for all that you've done for for me, for the congregation, these last few weeks, you you truly are a gift from God uh, to us as a, as a community. So again, I'm very, very grateful to you. And it is good to be back um, talking about these things that we love, talking about the subjects that we love, and uh, learning together. Okay. Well, thank you for those uh, comments, Andy. I really do appreciate that. It's just uh, my pleasure to do it. And we thank you for listening. This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy, and we will see you again next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.